The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. You may be seated, and uh, we have children to come up for the children's message. Okay, well, Kari. I want to make a liturgical note before I start the sermon, which is... Uh, about the prayer of the day. This extra long today. Uh, the prayer of the day is supposed to gather up the themes of, that are in the lessons, and this one absolutely does that. Um, it goes about, talk, talks about Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus and the promise that we have uh, that we belong uh, to God in, with, these, uh, with these words. It used to be that the prayer of the day was called the Collect, that it collected the themes in the scriptures. Um, that was a transliteration, I think, of a Latin term. But so we just use English words, but the reason it's the prayer of the day is it's connected to the readings uh, for the day. So what are you looking for when you come to worship? Is it an aesthetic experience, like shivers or goosebumps when there's a particularly well-sung hymn? Or is it information about the Word of God or relationships with people to see friends or to make new friends? You know, all these things we can find in other places. I think we're actually looking for something more than aesthetics or information or relationships when we gather. We're looking to meet God, even if we don't dare to expect that it's going to actually happen. We're coming here to encounter or connect with something greater than ourselves, to meet God and to thereby know that that we matter, that we belong, that we're loved by an eternal love. I think we want to be uplifted to know that there's something more than our ordinary, everyday lives. We could say that we're seeking God's face or seeking God's glory, looking to be lifted up beyond our ordinary everyday lives, to have the distance or the veil 
between the present and the future temporarily lifted so we can see what is real and true, the way things are in God's realm as opposed to the way they are in our everyday lives. Notice that in today's first lesson, when Moses went up the mountain to meet God and to receive the stone tablets of the law, he had to wait six days outside the cloud. He was up on the mountain, but he had to wait six days outside the cloud and glory of the Lord. It was only on the seventh day that God called him into the cloud and he could receive the words of God. Now, Moses could easily have considered that waiting a waste of time. The people needed him. They were down at the base of the mountain getting into trouble. But there really was nothing more important for him to be doing because meeting God and receiving God's word in the law was more important for the future of the people of Israel than anything else that Moses could be doing. It's what he received in those 40 days on the mountain that has guided them and held them together as a people from that time on until the present. His meeting God was more important than anything else. When we gather for worship, we can hear God's voice in the word sung, spoken, and enacted. We can stand in the brightness of God's glory and presence in baptism and in communion, but we don't get to see God's face except in Jesus Christ. Not even Moses saw God's face. To see God's face was the fulfillment of eternal hopes and desires, the goal toward which we moved in life or one moved through life and a sight so magnetic that one could never be pulled away from it. In other words, it meant that you were dead if you saw God's face in scriptural terms. So the people of Israel were afraid to see God's face because they knew that it meant that they were, were dead. In this life, we're given fleeting glimpses of God's backside, as Luther would put it, or God's glory, and we have to be alert and attuned to where God is at work in our lives and in the world to notice those glimpses of God's glory. When Jesus took Peter and James and John up the mountain with him, they caught a glimpse of God's glory, who Jesus would be after his resurrection. They saw it in Jesus' changed appearance when his face and his clothes shone like the sun. But they didn't realize that this is what they were seeing, even though Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the law and the gospel, uh, the law and the prophets, rather, appeared with Jesus. It's only when the voice spoke from the cloud, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, that they realized that it was God's voice and God's glory that they were seeing, a reflection of God's face. And then they were scared. And the first thing Jesus does is to touch them and to say, rise up and do not be frightened. The word, words of God were the same as those spoken at Jesus' baptism, but with the addition of, listen to him. They needed this glimpse of God's glory. 
Peter had just the day before announced that he believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And in response, Jesus had told them what this was going to mean, that he would suffer and die in Jerusalem and then be raised. And here on the mountain, with this glimpse of God's face in Jesus' face, they were being prepared for the journey to Jerusalem and its end, Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. The 40 days of Lent, which we're about to enter on Wednesday, parallel the journey of Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem. On the Sundays in Lent, we read about the things that Jesus did in the time between the transfiguration and his death and resurrection. We're attempting to obey the word of God spoken at Jesus' transfiguration. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Traditionally, these Lenten Gospels have been used to instruct candidates for and about the meaning of baptism into Christ and into the community of faith that follows him. So next Sunday, we'll read about Jesus' temptations and how he resisted them with the word of God in Deuteronomy. And then on the second Sunday of Lent, we'll read about Nicodemus' visit to Jesus at night. He came to him at night because Jesus is the light in the darkness, the light of the world, and that we are joined to that light in baptism. On the third Sunday of Lent, we'll read the story of Jesus meeting the woman by the well and telling her all about her life story and then giving her the living water of baptismal life. We'll also have you sit down for the reading of the gospel those Sundays, I think, because once we get to that one, they get pretty long. Um, The woman by the well. The next Sunday is Jesus healing the man born blind. And um, in this is to tell us that in baptism, our eyes are opened to, to Jesus as the source of life and healing. And then on the fifth Sunday of Lent, Jesus raises Lazarus from the death, and, from death, and that leads directly to Jesus' death and resurrection to which we are joined in baptism. Through reflection on these scriptures, we are prepared for Lent and by Lent for Jesus' death and resurrection. In many ways, Lent is symbolic of our lives. We're on a journey through life with a symbolic Jerusalem, our home forever with God as its destination. This is when we get to see God's glory and see it eternally. We press on through diversions and hardship. We know that suffering and even death await us at some point, but we've been set on this journey in baptism and prepared and fed for it in this gathering around God's word in study and in worship, and especially in this meal that Christ gave us. We glimpse God's glory and our destination in this gathering in words of concern, hope, and faith spoken among us, in the sharing of the presence of Christ in baptism and in the bread and cup and in the prayers that are offered. That's the reason that our worship and its conduct are so important. We're not just going through the motions, getting it done, but we're seeking God's face, 
God's glory, looking to be lifted up beyond our ordinary everyday lives, to have the distance or the veil between the present and the future temporarily lifted so that we can see what is real and true, the way things are in God's realm as opposed to the way they are in our everyday lives. Knowing the destination and having a glimpse of it from time to time fills the journey with hope and joy. We know that we matter to God in Christ through the Holy Spirit that's given to us in baptism. It's at our resurrection that we will finally and eternally see God face to face and hope for nothing more. You know, that's the last line of the last stanza of the hymn, The Church's One Foundation, that we, like saints before us, may see you face to face. So today, we join Peter and James and John on the mountain with Jesus, catching a glimpse of his glory as the Son of God as he converses with Moses and Elijah. We join him as we grow in our baptismal promises in listening to God's word, praying for the world and its people, and gathering at the Lord's table. And in this way, we are prepared for the journey of Lent and the journey of life. Amen.